This will be a great song. We appreciate Paul and the team for picking that one out and introducing that to us. All right. Well, hey, do me a favor. Get a copy of God's Word open. Open to John 14. We are continuing our study through the book of John, chapter by chapter, and we are parked in John chapter 14. And this message was actually going to be just today, but as I got into these verses, it's turning into two messages this week and next week, so we will be back in here next week. But while you're turning to get into John, I just want to um, let some of you know, some of you have asked um, about Ron Robinson. You guys have probably noticed Ron hasn't been up on the stage for some time, haven't been in church for some time. Um, Ron is going through some physical issues right now. Um, he's going to have to have some surgery done. But before he can have his surgery done, he's got to get his heart checked out and everything. So he's in some t uh, just quite a bit of discomfort. He's not able to really get out that often. Um, he, he pretty much gets out to go get groceries, maybe go to his, uh, his son's house. But right now, he's, he's really cooped up in the house. So he's just asked that you would just keep him in prayers as you remember him. And um, we're just praying that surgeries can get done. And he, he really wants to get back. So uh, thank you for those of you who have uh, inquired and have asked about him. But that's what's been going on with Ron. So, um, But with that, we are in John chapter 14 today. And um, Jesus is here in, in where we are in John. Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples. And he's been encouraging them. He's been giving them some final words because he... Jesus is actually within probably a few hours of the remainder of his life. Um, he's about to die. He's going to be arrested here pretty soon. Uh, Judas has already left the building, and he's going to betray him. So Jesus is probably within the last couple of hours of being with his disciples. And so Jesus is giving, him, giving them some final instructions and um, some final encouragement. And the reality is, as you, if you know your, the Bible and the disciples... Even though Jesus is about to die, go to the cross, they, they still really weren't getting it, all right? They, they still weren't, they, they kind of knew, kind of didn't. They, 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 they didn't know what was about to happen, actually, but Jesus did. Jesus knew that these guys, in a matter of hours, the world that they knew was going to be turned upside down and inside out that they're going to be facing some troubled times coming up. Anybody facing troubled times? Anybody enjoy facing troubled times? Going through the fiery trial, let's just be honest, it sucks. It's hard. These guys are about to go through it. And Jesus is giving them some instruction. He's giving them some encouragement. And he's saying some things to them for troubled times. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at what Jesus is saying to these men and what parallel truths can we pull from the words that he's telling them? Because how many of you know, even though Jesus was speaking specifically to them, this word transcends time and is still apply and applicable for us today. So I want to see what Jesus has to say for troubled times and what can we learn and apply to us today? And so here's the first thing that we can see what Jesus says about troubled times in this first thing. And it's number one, there on your outlines, I would encourage you to take notes and follow along with me. And it's this, the Holy Spirit reminds us what God's word says. When we're going through troubled times, it will be the Holy Spirit that will remind you of what God's word says. 
And so if you will look with me there in verse 25 of chapter 14, it says this. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. So he, Jesus knows I, I'm, I'm about to leave. I'm going to be gone here in a matter of hours. And what I need to say to you, I, I'm, I'm speaking it to you right now. He's already said some things. He's saying some things. And he's going to be saying some more things before he is arrested. In verse 26, he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Who was here last week? Raise your hand if you were here last week. All right, keep your hand up. Lower your hand if you weren't paying attention last week. Very good. I was hoping, like, not me. All right. Um, those of you who were here last week, how many of you just feel like a pen right now? You are just sharper. Than, you just, you're ready for a pop quiz. Anybody? I knew she would raise her hand. For all of you who are guests, that's my wife. I, she knows the answer already. Come on, somebody step up. Okay, Devon. Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the helper. What Greek word did I use to define the word helper? Paraclete, very good, very good. You ready for question number two? You feeling good? Okay. The Greek word for the word helper is paraclete. What did I say and how did I define that word paraclete? That's kind of a trick question. There you go. And he is on it. Man, you're on it. That's why you're a teacher. That's why you... That's why you work in a school, man. So Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the helper. Now, like I said last week, if you remember, some of you have versions. They're like the ESV, like mine says helper. Some of you have a version that says counselor. Some of you have a version that says comforter. Some of you have a version that says advocate. And I said, you know, we got so many translations with so many different words, but Why? Because in the original language, this, the Bible was not originally written in English. It was originally written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And so in the Greek language, that word that we get our English word helper or advocate or counselor or comforter comes from one Greek word. And that Greek word is paraclete. And the idea is, is that in the, in the Greek language, that word paraclete is too deep of a word to be translated in English. We don't have a linguistic word. We don't, there's no way linguistically that we can translate that word paraclete into English. And so we put a bunch of different words in to say this is what the Holy Spirit is. But the reality is that he's more than just one thing. He's not just a helper, even though he is. He's also a counselor. He's also an advocate. He's also a comforter. But here's the other thing. He's also going to, he, he, he convicts us. He anoints us. He leads us. He guides us. He, he, that's the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is saying, this Holy Spirit that's going to come, I'm, he, he, I'm going to send him. He's going to be a helper. Now he's going to define, though, and zero down a little bit how the Holy Spirit is going to help. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to remind you. 
everything that I've said. So he's basically like, he's saying to these guys without really saying it, guys, your world is about to be turned upside down. You are heading, like you're on the ship heading right into the hurricane. And you are going to get hit hard. And when you are in the middle of that trial, when you are in that storm and it is raging around you, and it's going to in a matter of hours, when you are facing these troubled times, here's what you need to know, guys. The Holy Spirit, he's going to come. And he's going to help you. And the way he's going to help you is this. He's going to remind you of what I've said to you. And so what he's trying to get them to understand is that the Holy Spirit is now going to be a reminder, an enlightener, that the Holy Spirit will enlighten their eyes of their hearts to what Jesus has already said to them, even though Jesus isn't with them. How does that work? I don't know, but it does. The Holy Spirit is able, because you've got to remember, I said last week that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of what? Spirit of truth. Meaning he is, the, he, 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 the Holy Spirit embodies the word of God. He is the word of God, the word of truth. So he's able to take the word of God and speak it to God's people. So Jesus, while he's with the disciples, is saying, when I'm no longer with you, the Holy Spirit will still speak to you. And the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. And he's going to enlighten your heart. And he's going to remind you of the words that I have said. And the idea is, is when you're going through that storm, you're facing those troubled times, when the Holy Spirit is reminding you of what I've said, it's going to strengthen your faith. It's going to encourage you. So now the Holy Spirit is, is counselor, comforter, advocate, helper, enlightener, revealer. He is reminder. Why? So he can be an encourager, so he can be a strengthener. Do you see why the word paraclete is so... There's no one word to define the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is everything you need him to be and who he has to be for your life through this life. And so the Holy, so he's trying to tell these guys, the Holy Spirit will speak to you to encourage you, to strengthen you, because you are going to face a storm. It is inevitable. You're not missing it. Troubled times come. And the reality is we are in the same boat. If Jesus were to show up and be ruined, right, I mean, physically in our presence, guess what he would say to us today? You're going to face troubled times. You're going to face the storm. But when you're in those troubled times, when you're facing the storm, listen to what I'm going to tell you. I will send the Holy Spirit and he will speak to you. And he will remind you of everything I've said. We see that's what we have today. We have the very words of Christ, the word of God written down for us. Because when these disciples, when they were going through the storm, when they were facing the troubled times, and what were those troubled times? It just wasn't that Jesus left. It was the persecution that they never experienced while Jesus was around. Because you got to remember, Jesus took the brunt of everything. Okay? According to the, if you, you want to think of it this way, to the Pharisees, the, 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 the disciples were just a bunch of lackeys. 
They were just followers. Jesus was the main guy. So all of the persecution and everything went right toward Jesus. But when Jesus leaves and the, fair, and the, and the, the disciples become the church and they become the voices and the feet and the body of Christ and start speaking what Jesus said, guess where all the persecution is going to go now? Right to them. And they take the brunt. And then all of the persecution, that's where that trouble and the trouble times and the trials are going to come. So Jesus is trying to tell these guys, when it comes, I'm going to speak to you. And how am I going to speak to you? Through the Holy Spirit. Because he will say what I've already said. And so these disciples, when they now, after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and they start going out on their own and the church has started and these guys are doing what they're supposed to do. And they're going through the persecution. They're going through the trials. They're going through the storms. The Holy Spirit's going to start reminding them. And the Holy Spirit will remind them of everything Jesus says. And here's the thing. It, wasn't, it, it encouraged them. It strengthened them. It, it helped them to keep moving forward. But guess what they also did? They wrote it down. And that, what the Holy Spirit inspired them to say, or to, 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 to inspired through them, as they wrote down, guess what it becomes? The very scriptures that was passed to the church. And that the church has been reading and studying and preaching and teaching for 2,000 years. And so we today, if you believe it, you have the very word of God speaking to you. Do you want to know why it's important to read and to study God's word because if you don't read and study God's word, guess where it remains? Right here. But as you read it, as you study it, as you intake it, guess what happens? The words come off the page, if you want to say, and are transplanted into your heart. Transplanted into your mind. Now, you may not be able to say, well, I know what, you know, you'd like... Isaiah chapter 34, verse 5 says this. You may not be able to do that. But here's the thing. When you're going through the storm, the troubled times, do you know what the Holy Spirit does? He takes the word of God that you have been putting in. And in the moment, you may not be able to quote the exact reference you may not know the home address, but the Holy Spirit is able to say, hey, do you know that the faithfulness of God is so good? That great is his faithfulness? Now, that, all of a sudden, you're like, I know that, I've heard that before. And then all of a sudden, you start, wait a minute, I think that's in Lamentations. You start, and then you can go, and you start reading Lamentations chapter 3, and then you start finding how great is the faithfulness of God. The Holy Spirit reminds you of what God has already said. So when you're feeling the weight of the storm, when you're feeling the weight of, of that trial, when you're going through it, the Holy Spirit prompts your heart. 
And what happens is he begins to speak the word of God to you and reminding you, here's what God has said. Because you got to remember one thing. Here's, here's something you got to remember. When you're going through the storm, when you're going through the pain, when you're going through the, the trial of life, you're going to have three voices speaking to you. One is the world. Your friends, your family, your coworkers, the news, Hollywood, everybody has something to tell you. All right? So when you're going through the storm, negative Nancy is always going to tell you how bad you've got it. She's going to just tell you, boy, you're always, you're, you're in a mess. You know, I remember when I was going through something like that. Man, it was horrible. And you've, you're always going to have people trying to con, con, convince you what you're going through is the worst thing ever. And you can sit and listen to that. That's what the world wants to do. The second voice you're going to hear is the enemy. Satan, and he, he loves speaking to you just as much as the Holy Spirit does. But the thing is, the enemy is going to tell you how bad God is. If God truly cared about you, if God truly loved you, you wouldn't be here. If God was this God of love, then why does he allow, allow his people to suffer? If God is good, why does he allow people to suffer? If God is A, then why does he allow B? And that's the enemy. And the enemy wants to convince us and get us to believe God is not good. He wants to believe that God is unloving. He wants us to believe that God is not faithful. He wants us to believe that God is not forgiving. He wants us to believe that message, and many of us do. We believe the lie more than the truth. So those are two voices. And the, here's the reality. Most of us listen to those two voices. You've got to listen to the third voice. The voice of the Holy Spirit. That still small voice that speaks to your heart when you're going through the storm. It's the Holy Spirit that whispers to your heart. It's the Holy Spirit who is counselor and advocate. It's the Holy Spirit who is comforter and enlightener. It's the Holy Spirit that is revealer. It's the Holy Spirit who guides and leads. It's the Holy Spirit who speaks. And he's trying to encourage you and strengthen you. He's trying to build your faith in the middle of the storm. Because it's in the storm, it's in the hurt, it's in the pain, it's in that trial where our faith weakens it's easy to have strong faith when nothing's going wrong. Everybody has great faith when everything is good. But when the house of cards collapse and you're going through the health issue, you're going through the financial issue, you're going through the marital issue, you're going through whatever it is and life has turned upside down and inside out, that's when your faith is easily crumbled. So the Holy Spirit wants to remind you of who God is. But you've got to know who God is. And the way we know who God is and what he's like is with, through his word. I told Paula, after I'm done with the book of John, I'm thinking of doing a study, not chapter by chapter or verse by verse, but doing a study through the book of Isaiah. 
If you want to know who God is and find out what he's like, read Isaiah. And you will find out, and I'm thinking about entitling that, 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 seer, that, that study, Great God. Because that's who God is. He's a great God. And the Holy Spirit wants to remind you that God is great. He wants to remind you that even in the middle of the, the, the pain and the suffering, that God still is working out all things because he still loves you. When you feel like you're not saved, when you feel like your sin is too great, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you, listen, hey, even when your sin abounds, God's grace abounds even more. He wants to remind you that, listen, if you know you are a child of God and he cares for you, he wants to, the Holy Spirit will remind you of who Christ is and who you are in Christ. But the way you learn all that and to know that is you've got to be in the word of God. You've got to be studying it and reading it and hearing it. And that's why the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. And so if you feel like your faith is weak and it's not strong and you feel like every time I go through the storm, man, I, I stumble and I fall and you want to be stronger in the storm, you've got to have tools within so the Holy Spirit can remind you and speak to your heart. Because that's what he wants to do. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. You got to remember, as I said last week, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will dwell within you. You see, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you know Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He, he, right now, everybody, the Holy Spirit is all around us. But Jesus says that if you know him, you love him, you obey his word, that, 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 that God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, the essence of all three, manifests himself in you. They dwell within you. And so if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, and you've got the word of God in you, the Holy Spirit can remind you, and he can lead you and guide you and teach you the things of God. And that way, when you are facing troubled times, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you, God is still good. God is still great. Maybe sometimes we need to go back to that old children um, before we eat you know, prayer. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. What a simple prayer, but how much truth is in that? And sometimes that's what the Holy Spirit needs to just remind us and speak to us. So the first thing that we see that Jesus says in troubled times is that the Holy Spirit is going to remind us and he's going to tell us what the word of God has to say. Here's the second thing. What Jesus says about troubled times, number two, the peace of Christ calms our troubled hearts. The peace of Christ calms our troubled hearts. Look at verse 27. <clears throat> peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus, again, he's saying, guys... When you're facing troubled times, when you're facing the storm, when you're in the suffering, you can have peace. 
And Jesus is like, I'm going to give you peace. Now, he's telling them, you can get peace in one of two places. You can get peace from me, or you can get peace from the world. Now, here's the thing. Worldly peace is um, artificial. It's not real, deep down, authentic, like, I've got great peace. You see, the thing about worldly peace is it, it, it depends on my resources. Like, if I have a good job, I got peace if I got a good job. If I'm making good money, I'm, I can have peace when I'm making good money. If I've got good health, I, I'm going to have some good peace if I got good health. If my marriage is right, my kids are doing well. If life is pretty good, if I've got X, Y, and Z, I got peace. Well, here's the problem with world peace. Worldly peace depends on hopefully my circumstances and my situation align perfectly. Everything is good. There is no trouble. As long as there's no trouble, I have peace. But what happens when trouble comes? What happens if X, Y, and Z aren't lining up? What happens if I don't have my job? What happens if I lose my health? What happens in a divorce? What happens if my kids walk away? What happens when life isn't lining up and all of a sudden trouble bombards me and my circumstances aren't aligned right? I don't have peace. There is no peace. There's only trouble. You see, Worldly peace says it depends on my resources. Jesus' peace depends on a relationship. Worldly peace says we have peace as long as my situation and circumstances align. Jesus' peace says it's not about situation or circumstances, but salvation. And here's what I mean. Without Christ, the Bible teaches us one simple truth. We're all sinners. All of us. No one escapes it. And so because you and I, all of us are sinners, the sad reality and the truth is our sin separates us from God. All of us are separated from God because of sin. And the problem with our sin and our separation from God is that our sin creates enmity between us and God. You see, Jesus, you see, God wanted to have a relationship with you and I, relationship with humanity, but because of sin, that broke that relationship. That's why Jesus came to die on a cross. He died on a cross, and his sin, and what he did on the cross makes it available for you and I to have that forgiveness of our sin. So when we come to know Christ and we say, Jesus, come into my life, be my savior, rescue me, forgive me. It's in that moment that as Romans chapter five says, that through Christ, now I have peace with God. You see, when you come to know Christ as your Savior, you're no longer separated, but you're now brought close to God, and you have peace with God. Not enmity, but peace. And now, because you 
are a believer in Jesus Christ, now, because he has saved you and you have that peace with God, now you have access to the very peace of God. Without Christ, there's no peace. With Christ, you have peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And the peace of God is a gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace. But the question is, is why do so many of us not have peace? I like what Warren Wiersbe, a Bible commentator, says. He says, we have the spirit within us, the Savior above us, and the world before us, or the word before us. He says, what tremendous resources we have for peace. You see, the world says that peace comes from the absence of trouble. God's peace is in spite of trouble. The people in the world, the world walks by sight and it depends on externals. But Christians walk by faith and it depends on the eternals. You see, here's why, even as Christians, Jesus says, I will give you peace. But it's not guaranteed. Because we still have to receive it. It's a gift. But we still have to accept it. We still have to take it. But what does, what does this peace look like? Let, let's, let's flush this out a little more. So Jesus wants to give us this peace. But what does that mean? What does that look like? Does it mean that um, I never have any trouble? No. Does it mean that I just go around and say, oh, I'm happy, happy, happy all the time? No. Does it mean that I, I, I deny my problems, stick my head in the sand and pretend that everything is okay and, and everything's grand and how are you? Oh, I'm awesome and life is so good. Is that what it means? No. Does having the peace of Christ mean you never grieve, never cry, never lament? No. Then what is the peace of Christ? What does it mean to have the peace of God within us? And it's simply this, a calmness. The storm may be raging all around you on the outside, but the storm doesn't have to be raging on the inside. If you remember when Jesus and the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee one day, they were in a boat, and Jesus was like, man, I'm tired, boys. I'm going to go take a nap. And he's in the back of the boat sleeping, and all of a sudden, a storm comes up out of nowhere and starts engulfing the boat with waves, and it's crashing. And like life, the waves of trouble just crash. The disciples are freaking out. They're like, we're going to die. Wake up, Jesus, because we need him fast. And they wake up, Jesus, they're like, don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus stands up, and he just basically says two things. Peace, be still. And it says, the storm calmed. Now, I, said, I read that again this morning, and I said, I wondered if Jesus said that, not so much for the storm, but for the disciples. He, I, I, it's like he's looking at them and saying, peace, be still. Because you're not, just as that storm's raging, 
you're raging inside. The peace of Christ is able to give me a calmness inside. No matter what's happening on the outside. It is what we sang this morning. It is well with me. How many of you know where that hymn came from? Raise your hand if you know where that hymn came from. Few of you. I've, I've, I've said this before a long time ago, but I wanted to say it again, where that hymn comes from. That hymn is a very powerful hymn. It is well with my soul. And the reality is, um, the person who wrote that didn't write that when life was going really good for him. It wasn't like, well, life's so good, I'm, it's well with my soul. No, his name was... Horatio Spafford, and him and his wife, Anna, lived in Chicago in the 1800s. And um, life was good for them. They had five beautiful children, and he was a very wealthy lawyer, and, and he owned a lot of the different properties. So they were a very wealthy family. So at that point, you think he could have written, it is well with my soul. But that's not when he wrote it. Him and Anna were very devout believers in Christ. They had a tremendous faith. They did a lot of work for the church, helping the city of Chicago. In 1970, they lost their four-year-old son to scarlet fever. A year later, they lost, like a lot of other people at that time, a lot of personal property when the great uh, fire of Chicago broke out. Two years after the, the Chicago fire and losing a lot of their personal uh, property and, and a lot of wealth at that time, the loss of their four-year-old son. Two years later, they were like, we need a vacation. Let's go to England. 19, 1873, um, Anna and their four daughters got on a ship. Horatio had to stay behind to finish up some business before he left. Han Anna, his wife, and their four daughters took off on a ship um, headed for England. On November, let me get the exact date, on November 22nd, 1873, the ship that they were on was struck by another ship. The ship that Anna and her four daughters were on sank in 12 minutes. 226 people lost their lives. Anna survived. The four daughters did not. Anna got to England by herself, um, sent a message to Horatio saying, I'm the only survivor. The four girls died. Horatio got on a boat immediately and, and, and set sail to England to meet up with Anna. He asked the captain when they passed over the spot where their, the ship sank and the four daughters died, could he be informed? When they got to that spot, he went up to the bridge with the captain, and the captain said, this is the spot that the ship went down. And it's said that at that point, Horatio left the bridge, went down into his cabin, and he wrote that famous hymn, It Is Well with my soul. How does anybody write a song like that after losing five children? And in fact, even after this event, they had other children, they lost another one. How does somebody write a, a, a song like that? Well, it's because he was super spiritual. He was like, you know, he was like, he just wasn't an average Joe, Jim. He, he must have been, some, no, he was nobody special. It was just that him and his wife had an unwavering commitment and trust in God. And he knew the only way I have peace isn't because my circumstances will change. 
The storm was raging all around him on the outside, but he had perfect peace on the inside. And he was able to write, even though all of this is taking place, it is well with my soul. And the only way that happens is the peace that Jesus says, peace I will give you inside is able to calm me in that storm. Experiencing that kind of peace doesn't come because you're somebody like, well, I'm a pastor of the church or I'm, I'm, I'm some, someone super spiritual. No, it comes to every believer. That peace is available for every believer because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have peace with God and you can get the peace of God. It is available to you. It is right there waiting for you. But why do so many of us not have it? Look at what Jesus says in verse 27 again. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but I give to you. Here it is. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let me ask you. Fear or faith, is it a choice? Raise your voice if you know. It's a choice. He says, let your heart not be troubled. Let it not be afraid. Don't let it. Okay? Over and over and over and over and over and over again, in the Bible, you're going to read words like this. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. It, the idea is, is when you and I are facing the trouble, facing the problem, facing the pain, in that moment is when I have to make a decision. Am I going to allow my heart, my mind, my inside dwell on the pain all the time? Am I just going to concentrate and focus all of my attention on the storm, on the pain, on the problem, on this, on this, on what the world's... That's where my focus is. If that's where my focus is all the time, guess what's happening on inside? Chaos. Turmoil. We, Amanda read it perfectly in Psalm 42. And David looked at himself in the mirror. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil? And in that moment, when he's face to face with himself, he has a decision to make. Put your trust in God, because right now you don't have that. That's why, David, you're in turmoil, because your trust is not on God. Your focus is on the pain. And the more I focus on the pain... The more I focus on, well, you know, I, I, our finance is never going to change. I'm never going to have a job like that again. I don't, I don't know if my kids are coming back. I don't know if my wife wants to, to reconcile. I don't, and the more I just keep focusing and focusing, it doesn't mean we don't look at things and try to fix things. And, but there's got to come a moment when you're like, man, I can't do anymore. And I just let it go. And I'm like, it's in your hands, God, because I can't do it. Turn with me. Keep your finger there, but turn with me to the book of Philippians. Let's look at how we do this thing. 
this is how we do this. Because I don't know about you, I hate feeling turmoil inside. I hate feeling restless. I hate feeling when, when, when everything's going wrong that, that, that I can't sleep at night because I'm so focused on what if. That, 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 that I can't enjoy a moment because I'm what if. Because I'm, if, if, if all I'm always looking at is the problem and the pain, man, I'm telling you, you're just always turning on inside. My prayer is, is that hopefully you'll be like, I want that calmness. I want to be able to say it as well. And here's how this happens. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do you see the focus difference? He said, he's like, don't be anxious, but in everything, here's how you do this. In everything, you keep praying because prayer is vertical. Prayer is getting my focus off the horizontal, off the pain, and getting it on the problem solver. It's getting my eyes on God. First Peter says that, that you're casting all of your anxieties onto the Lord. It's like throwing a net out, man. I just, every time I start thinking about, I got to cast it on the Lord. Here it is. Here it is. I'm giving it to you. God, I don't know when this is going to change. I don't know. God, I don't know if this will ever change. God, I don't know if I'm going to be healed. God, I don't know if my kid's going to come back. I don't know, God, but here's what I do. I'm giving it to you. And Paul says, he says this. If you just keep praying, you just keep casting, you keep just getting vertical, getting your focus on God. Verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. You see, he's saying, you just keep giving it to God. Give it to God. Pray. Everything. Give it to God. Give it to God. Give it to God. Give it to God. As you just keep getting vertical, get your eyes off the pain, off the problem, off the hurt, everything. Get your eyes off the worldly stuff. Get your, it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean you're sticking your head in the sand, pretending it's not there. It is just getting your focus different. Quit dreading and fretting about this and getting up here. And pray and pray. And he says, the more you do that, the peace of God transcends your understanding. Meaning, I don't understand any of I can't figure this out. I don't know how, I don't know how in the world this is going to, I have no idea. That peace guards your heart and your mind. Where are those located? On the inside. And it means to like to guard it, meaning calm it down, to protect it. So that because that's telling me God doesn't want you in turmoil. He doesn't want you living a life where you're like out of control inwardly and your emotions are just so wow. Just out. He wants you like whole emotionally spiritually, mentally. And the way we get that done is you got to get off the horizontal. You got to get on the vertical. And the more you and I do that, the more peace we have. Isaiah chapter 26 says it this way. 
And I wrote it down on your, your outline, and you can, you can look at it for a future reference also. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. If you need a scripture to memorize, if you need a verse for the Holy Spirit to remind you of something, there it is. Get your mind on the Lord. Get your mind on who God is. Get your mind on Christ. And as you do that, as, you, as your mind is staying there, your heart will have perfect peace. It, again, it doesn't mean that the circumstances are going to change like that. It doesn't mean that, that all of a sudden everything's going to start popping up tulips in your life. But what it means is the storm could be raging and continue to rage and may rage the rest of your life. But are you able to say, it is well. I'm okay. I'm okay within. Because I'm telling you, what goes on on the inside affects your outside. And if you're all in chaos and turmoil on the inside, you're going to be in chaos and turmoil on the outside. It's going to affect other relationships. It's going to affect your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your coworkers. Because here's the problem. You're going to be cranky all the time. People will just hate being around you. Because all you focus on is your problem and your pain. And you're in so much turmoil, it's going to affect you on the outside. But the more you get the inside... Where you just got that peace, that calmness, that sense of like, I don't understand. I've got a lot of questions and I don't have any answers. But I'm okay. I'm going to stop that message right there. We'll get to point number three. Because I told Paul of these first two points was why I went to two messages. I'm going to finish up. Uh, I'm going to put that third point in next week's message. But I don't, I don't want to force it because it's just too good. I just believe what Jesus has to tell us through troubled times is some good stuff. So I don't want to just cram that third point in just to say, we got three points in today. I hope those two points can settle in your heart today. Let the Holy Spirit remind you, because I'm telling you, you allow the Holy Spirit to keep reminding you of what God says, what the Word of God says. Guess what starts to happen on the inside? Peace. The Holy Spirit is in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. If you know him as your Savior, he is in you. And he's going to remind you. He's going to work in you. He's going he's to comfort you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to strengthen you. And the way he does all that is through the word of God. And as the word of God is continuing to be reminded in you, you're hearing it, you're taking it in. I have a peace. And the more you have that peace, the better life is going to be. And again, the storm can be raging all around you, but it doesn't have to be raging within you. Amen? Why don't we all stand? Let's just close with it as well a little bit, all right? Let me close this in a word of prayer. Let's sing the updated version, not the hymn. Do you know what I'm saying? Just, just the chorus part of it as well. Well, Father, we just bow before you and we just... 
thank you, Father, for who you are. Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you that you have given us resources through our paraclete, the Holy Spirit, our helper, our counselor, our comforter, our strength, our encourager, the one who reminds us of what your word says. And help us to remember that, Lord, help us to hear that word deep within us. Because, Lord, I, I, I have a pretty good suspicion that there are people in this room right now, maybe people listening online, they're going through it. They're in the storm. And they have, they've been discouraged. They've felt the despair. They've, they've got questions with no answers, and they don't know where to turn. Help them to turn to you. Help them to see you in that storm. Help them to be like you, Lord Jesus, able to sleep when the waves are still crashing. And help us to hear those words that Jesus speaks. Peace, be still. And help us, Lord, to have that heart inside where we can say, it is well. So, Father, we know that we're all, we're going to face the trouble. We're going to face the storms and the trials. But help us to go through them, Lord, with that peace that transcends our understanding. And we just thank you, Father, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.